Thank you for visiting New Song Community Church on the web at newsongpdx.com. We pray that you will be blessed by listening to the message today. You are welcome to celebrate with us in worship and the word every Sunday at 10 a.m. We are located on the corner of Russell Street at 2511 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard in Portland, Oregon. Lord, amen. Amen. I was thinking as you were singing that song that Jesus, the holiness and all that is the name of Jesus. And I would have to say for me that healing is the name of Jesus. Amen. If those of you that don't know, I, <clears throat> uh, I had cancer a couple years ago and actually it's been a year and a half now that I've gone through my final treatments and God brought me through that and healed me. I was, hallelujah. Uh, but uh, I didn't think I was going to make it and, uh, but because uh, of my wife's encouragement and uh, other people visiting me and praying and God brought me through and, and uh, I told God, I says, I'm ready to go. I mean, <laughs> I was in pain and, uh, but you know, uh, God had something else for me. God had something more for me to do. Amen. Uh, maybe one of these days I'll have time to share with you my testimony and what God's done in my life. But just really short, I've, <clears throat> I've, been, in the, uh, I've been saved for 45 years, been in the ministry for 40 years, uh, pioneered the first uh, Foursquare Church in the state of Utah in 1979 in Provo, Utah, it's where they train the Mormon missionaries. And God put me there, and uh, then from there we went to the Navajo Reservation, and, and I was a pastor there for many years, and uh, I've been going overseas for many, many years. I just got back from India uh, about three weeks ago, and uh, actually this suit that I'm wearing, they tailored for me in India. <laughs> they asked me, he says, have you ever had a tailored suit? And I said, well, no. And they said, we're going to go get you one. And they made me another suit, uh, but uh, I chose this one. And uh, I was just amazed at what God is doing in India. And I just got a call. I just got back from Hawaii Thursday. And I just got a call from the pastor that has a contact in India. And I guess we're going back in there with five different ministry teams. And we're going to go all over the country of, Israel, uh, of India preaching the gospel, and uh, then come back and testify. While I was there on New Year's Eve, I preached in, uh, in India. And uh, the amazing thing is, is that I got there. I got to India at 4 o'clock in the morning. I got through customs and everything. I got there about, uh, uh, about uh, 4.30. Now, I got there at 2.30. I got through customs about 4.30 got to the pastor's house in the church about 5.30, and the pastor says, oh, by the way, our services start at 6 o'clock, and you're preaching. Amen. And so, uh, uh, so they start service at 6 o'clock. The reason they start service at 6 o'clock is because they have three services, and they have 5,000 people in their, service, in their church. Amen. And so on New Year's Eve, and actually uh, you can uh, go into YouTube and you can see the sermon I preached there in India. I preached to 5,000 people. And God is doing a wonderful work in India. It just uh, blows my mind. Amen. And uh, so anyway, I've been invited back out. I've been going to Africa since 1986. And I usually go there for anywhere from six weeks to three months. And... Uh, and I've been in the Philippines many, many, many times. But 
so I'm not pastoring right now, but I did pastor full-time for 18 years, and most of that time was on the Navajo Reservation in Arizona. And this morning, I want to share something with you that uh, I really wrestled uh, as to what to minister because there's so many things that God's done in my life and so many ways that God has helped me, and I just pray and hope that God can give you a revelation and understanding of what he's uh, shared in my life. When I minister, when I preach, I'm not just trying to preach a sermon. I'm trying to preach something that God has done in my life, something that has revolutionized my life. Uh, this is not what I'm preaching on, but I just want, felt like sharing it this morning. He says, Paul writes to the Ephesians, says, therefore also in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15, we're not going to put that on screen because I didn't tell him. It says, therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what's different this morning about Christianity as opposed to all other religions is that it's a religion or it's a relationship with God the Father and that he gives us and we have his wisdom, his revelation, and his knowledge and he enlightens our eyes. Amen. And so Christianity is a, is a relationship of revelation. Amen. And so God wants you to have revelation. He doesn't want you just to come to church every week, but he wants you to have revelation. And I so appreciate the worship service this morning. I know that the worship team and the worship leaders, they pray and they ask God what to, what to bring. And I just... So impressed this morning at the presence and the anointing of God that is here this morning. Amen. And I imagine I could just leave right now and call it good. Because I have felt the presence of God. I have felt the anointing of God here this morning. And that's what it's all about. I'm going to preach the title of my sermon if you're taking notes. And I recommend everyone take notes. But uh, it's called For His Name's Sake. I'm going to be preaching out a very familiar portion of Scripture in Psalms chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. Do we have that up there? Psalms chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. And I, what I'd like you to do is, uh, uh, let's, can you put all three verses up there? Or we'll just do one at a time. What I'd like you to do is stand, and I'd like, actually like you to read that, because... This is a very familiar portion of Scripture, but I want you to read it. I know normally, and normally here at church, we'll, the pastor will read a verse, and then you'll read a verse. But what I'd like you to do is to read all three verses. I'll start it out, but I'm going to let you read them out as loud as you can. Number one, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Amen. You may be seated. Father, we come before you, Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. 
I ask God that you would speak to each heart, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, revelation, and enlighten our minds to your word. Father God, that we might leave here changed and transformed, O oh God. We're not here simply to hear another sermon, not here to preach in great words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of power and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Most of my ministry and uh, all that I've been through and what I believe in God has come by revelation. And, but, and when I say revelation, I understand that, uh, how many know that this book is the revelation of God? Amen. And then as we read this book and as we study this book, God will give us revelation. He will speak to us, but there are times that God will actually speak to your hearts. And in my ministry, God has spoken to me audibly about six different times and has really transformed my life. And those times have not always been in ministry, but most of them have been. And so what I want to minister this morning is a revelation that has transformed my entire life of how I view God and how and why God does what he does. And this revelation has been years in the making in my pastorate in Provo, Utah, in Chinle, Arizona on the Navajo Reservation, all the times that I've been to Africa and the times that I've been to India and the Philippines that whenever I go... Matter of fact, when I went to India, I was wondering, God, what do you want me to do there? I don't, I don't know what to minister in India. It was the first time I went to India. But what I discovered while I was there, that God sent me there for me. Amen. So that I might be able to see what he is doing, to see the dedication of those people and what the, the love that they have for God. And we think uh, of India as a nation of heathens, but I'll tell you what, man, there are a lot of Christians there that love God, are serving God and worshiping God on a daily basis. Amen. And they are so committed, uh, I was embarrassed sometimes, amen, at my own commitment, so uh, as I was, uh, I have to take my glasses off because I can't read up close. But in the times, I remember one time I was in uh, Provo, Utah, and how many know that's Mormon country? And it was the first four-square church in, in the whole entire state. And I ministered there for a year and a half and literally lost everything. I could not, because uh, back in those days, Foursquare had a policy. They would support you for a year, and then after that, you're on your own. Well, when you don't have any people, you don't have money, any money. Amen. And nobody was getting saved, and the Mormons weren't getting saved. And I was out in the streets preaching all the time and witnessing. And on Friday nights, all the missionaries, all the Mormon missionaries that were getting ready to go on their mission, they would go on Center Street to get drunk as a last fling before they went on their mission. Amen. So I took advantage of that and went out and witnessed to them. I said, don't you think this is kind of hypocritical? You're going to go on your mission, and you're out here partying, your last fling before you go tell people about Joseph Smith or whoever they they're pushing. But anyway, it, there was a time and I was very desperate before God. And I got and God spoke to me. He says, I want you to read the book of Hebrews. So I began to read the book of Hebrews. And um, there was a man. He was a bishop in the Mormon church that was right next door. He had a, a hardware store next to my church. And he'd come over every morning, try to convert me. And he'd come over and he'd talk to me and he would just get, he would just weigh on me. And God said, I want you to read the book of Hebrews. And so I began to read the book of Hebrews. And I didn't know why. For three weeks, I began to study in the book of Hebrews. One day, this man comes in. 
And he walks into the church, and my office was upstairs, and he walks up. And as I heard him coming, I went to the stairs, and I began to talk to him. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God came down. And I began to quote to him the entire book of Hebrews of what the priesthood really was. If you don't know anything about Mormonism, their idea of the priesthood is all messed up. And I began to show him how Jesus was our high priest and the Spirit of God came down. This guy got so nervous that he turned around, he walked out, and he never came back again. But here's the thing, is that after that happened, I went in my office and I fell to my knees and I began to pray. And I began to weep and I say, God, what's happening? I've lost everything. I gave up my career. I gave up everything to come minister for you. And here I have lost everything. I lost my car. You can talk to my wife and ask her. She'll tell you. I've lost everything and nothing is happening. Nobody is getting saved. And God spoke to me in an audible voice. And he says, I have yet thousands that have not bowed their knee to Joseph Smith. Amen. Now understand, I've been preaching for a year and a half, three mess, three sermons a week to my wife and children. The next week, we had 80 people in the church. Amen. The next week, amen. Hallelujah. God moves by revelation. God moves in this way. And I can tell you some things about Chinle on the Navajo Reservation, but I don't have that much time this morning. But one of the things that I see as I minister around the world and as I minister in churches in the United States, uh, and especially the, a lot of the things that are happening in, the, in Christianity today, is that we have a major problem in the church. Amen. In Matthew 22, 34 through 30, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws of the prophet. Most of us are familiar with that, aren't we? Amen. We're familiar with that piece of scripture. Verse 40 says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. But see, we have a problem in our churches today because the problem is, is that our, all, most of our services, thank God this morning it wasn't that way, but most of our services and in a lot of churches today and in Christianity as a whole in the United States and even throughout the world because we've taken that message to the world is that our services are all about man. God, what can you do for me? God, I'm here to receive your blessing. God, what can you do for me? Amen. Hallelujah. How can I receive a miracle from God? And it becomes me, me, me. And unfortunately, many of the services that we hear or many of the messages we hear on television and the radio, it's all about me. How can I become rich? If I give this, you're going to get, if I give a thousand, God's going to give me 10,000. Where does that say that in the Bible? Amen. Hallelujah. But the problem is, is that many missionaries have gone overseas and have taken that same message. And unfortunately, and I've spent lots and lots of time in Africa, and there are a lot of African Christians that are starting to believe that same thing. And they don't understand why when they sacrifice all that they have, that God, they don't see a triple return or quadruple return as the American pastor said they would. Amen. And so what's happened is 
We've not, as missionaries, have not preached the gospel around the world, but we have preached an adulterated gospel, which is nothing more than the American dream. Amen. But I tell you that the American dream doesn't work in Africa. It doesn't work in India. It doesn't work in the Philippines, but the gospel does. Amen. And so we need to be sure that when you come to church, you are not here for you. Amen. You did not come this morning to find out what God could do for you. I understand that God does work for us and all that, but I want you to get a revelation and an understanding of what God does and why he does it. Unfortunately, it's all about us. Me, me, me. Say, how do you know that, Pastor? Because people are always asking me, why is this happening? You ever ask God, why? Why me? Oh, why me? Amen. I know I don't look it, but I am Hispanic. And uh, my mom used to say all the time, when we used to complain, she'd go, pobrecito. <laughs> and if you know Spanish, you, you know what that means. She would go, que lastima, pobrecito. And that means, oh, what a pity, poor little thing. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. And many times we come to God that way. Amen. God, help me. I'm so poor. I don't have the money. God, I paid my tithe last week and you haven't doubled it yet. Amen. God, I've prayed for healing and it hasn't happened. Amen. So I want to help you this morning to understand why God does what he does. Amen. Psalms 23 is a very common scripture that we all know, but I think we miss, at least I missed for many, many years, the revelation of Psalms 23. <clears throat> so as you read this morning, a very familiar scripture, there's three questions that I want to propose to you this morning out of this scripture. So number one is, why does God make me lie down in green pastures? Second question is, why does he lead me beside still waters? And number three, why does he restore my soul and lead me in the paths of righteousness? So I want to answer those three questions before this service is over and hopefully to give you an understanding and a revelation of the nature of God that will transform your life that when you walk out of here that you'll say, oh, I understand now. Because many times we come to church and we say, oh man, pastor preached a wonderful sermon. And we go and say, well, what did he preach about? And go, I have no idea, but it was wonderful. Amen. Is that not true? Amen. I learned on the Navajo Reservation that I'm going to take one point and I'm going to drive that point into them. So when you leave, you're going to know one thing and that's it. Because sometimes we try to overwhelm our people with too much knowledge, too much making people think that we know so much. Amen. But I have to understand. If you know my background, you know that God chooses the foolishness of this world. He chooses the weak things. I used to be afraid to get up in front of people. I, w I flunked English in high school because I would not give a book report. I would not stand up and tell in front of people. But God changed all that. Amen. But before I answer those three questions, I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. 
should be coming up there. If it doesn't, I'll just read it to you. It says, but as but he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Matthew 5, 17 through 20 says, do not think that I am come to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. This is Jesus speaking. He says, for surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will, be, will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teach men so, so shall he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of God. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of God. That's pretty heavy. Amen. He says, unless your righteousness, unless my righteousness exceeds that to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, we will not enter the, into the kingdom of God. And he says, because I am holy, in First Peter he says, then you must be holy. But we have a problem. The problem is, we are not holy. We are not righteous. Can you say amen? amen. How many here are holy? <laughs> Hallelujah. How many here are righteous? See, there's a problem. Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes, you're not going to see heaven. But the problem is, is you and I, if we're honest with each other, we know that we're not holy. We know that we are not righteous. We know that we fall short of God's grace many times. We know that we fall short. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Amen. How many here have not kept all of God's commandments since you've been saved? Amen. Amen. Well, I'm raising your, my hand with you. Amen. I confess I have problems with holiness and I have a problem with righteousness. I understand God's imputed righteousness. I understand all that. Uh, but see, what I want to, you to understand is what motivates God and what moved God to come to an unrighteous people, to an unholy people, and to give his life uh, and, and, and suffer for our sins and raise again the third day. Amen. In our text, in verse 3, he gives us the answer to these three questions. Why does he lead me beside still waters? Why does he restore my soul? Why does he lead me into the paths of righteousness? And why does he make me to lie down in green pastures? The answer to that question is in verse 3. He does it, he, the Bible says, for his name's sake. That word sake in the Hebrew is spelled M-A-A-N, man. I don't know if that's the way you pronounce it. But it means intent or purpose. It is an indication of God's very nature. So Psalms 23.3, the literal translation would read this way. It is because of what his name is that he leads me in the paths of righteousness. 
So what you have to understand this morning is that when God moves in your life, uh, when he leads you into the paths of righteousness, when he makes you or forces you to lie down in green pastures, uh, when he makes you to go beside still waters, he is doing it for himself. Go, what? Are you telling me God's egotistical? No. Stick with me. This has always been his plan from the very beginning. Understand that God created man for what? Fellowship and to worship him. That's why he created us. And so what God, the Bible, because God is a righteous God and because he is a holy God... And he, we can only enter in because if we are holy and, bec- and if we are righteous, then we must become that. So God, in his grace and his love, uh, he leads us there. He causes us or he makes us to lie down in green pastures. He leads us into the path of righteousness. Amen. So that we might serve him, that we might glorify him out of a pure heart for no other reason than to simply love him out of a pure heart. Amen. This is what we were created for. We were created in his image. Amen. I know from being married for 45 years that my wife desires to be loved. And I desire to be loved by her. When you first fell in love, there was nothing that you wouldn't do for that person that you were in love with. Amen? 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 And as we get older, and as a Christian, when you first get saved, you just love God. But as time goes on and the attacks of the enemy come along, we kind of lose our focus on what God created us for. He created us for his name's sake. Amen. He created us so that we might worship him. I, as uh, Pastor Chuck said, uh, I was fortunate enough to do one of the rooted classes. And there was a quote in that one of that rooted class. It says, another ma- major attribute we share with God is personhood. God has will, intelligence, and emotion. And so do we. <clears throat> and so do we. The most central facet of per- personhood is the capacity and the desire for relationship. Amen. That's why he created you. Because he has a compassion and a desire for relationship. When asked by, the Pharisee, uh, by a Pharisee lawyer, he says, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus replied, first and foremost is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's it. It's not complicated. Very simple. And that you should love your neighbor. As yourself. So God leads us. He walks us through the valley of the shadow of death. He restores my soul. He leads me into the paths of righteousness for his namesake. I want you to look at some interesting scriptures in Isaiah chapter 60, verses 19 through 21. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, So shall you they. F- Shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun? When the enemy comes, uh, oh, wrong chapter. Chapter 60, verse 19. I was reading 59, sorry. 
The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor brightness shall be your moon, uh, shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light, and your God your glory. Your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. Also their people shall be righteous, they shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. In other words, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he says, I am going to do all these things in your life. I am going to be a light unto you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to instruct you. I'm going to cause you to lie down in green pastures that I might be glorified. So everything that God does, he does it for his glory. Amen. That's why I loved when they sang that song this morning, Waymaker. Oh my gosh, I was thinking, I was weeping. Leviticus chapter 10 says these words, verses 1 through 3, says, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his incense and put fire in it, put incense on it and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went down from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, now understand here, God's just killed Aaron's sons. The NIV says that the Lord, uh, that the Lord will be an everlasting, uh, that, uh, that, that they had offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So here we have God's killed Aaron's sons. And obviously Aaron is upset about this because Moses has to come and talk to him. Verse 3 says, And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying. So I want you to understand why God killed your sons. Amen. He said, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. Amen. And he says, And before all the people... I must be glorified. Amen. So here's Aaron who's upset at God because his sons have disobeyed and offered profane fire or unauthorized fire to God, contrary to God's command. God kills him and Moses has to step in and explain to Aaron the nature of God. He said, this is the nature of God. He who comes to God must regard him as holy and before all the people God must be glorified. So Aaron, the Bible says, held his peace. Amen. C.S. Lewis said these, this. I don't know if they have that up there. Yeah. C.S. Lewis says, what distinguishes the gospel from legalism is that legalism says God will love us if we, are, if we do good. Well, the gospel tells us God will make us good because he loves us. That is a big difference, and getting your heart and mind around it will change your life. Amen? The problem is, is that many times when we get saved, we kind of 
And even sermons that I hear from many pastors were pushing towards legalism. If you'll do this, God will do that. If you do this, God will do that. But it doesn't work that way. God does it because he loves us. And he changes us because he loves us. Amen. And if you'll wrap your mind around that and get a revelation of that, it'll change your life. Amen. I want you to consider the following. When I was studying the Bible and I was, I actually preached this sermon in, in, uh, in Bangalore, Af- uh, India. And, and it just began to blow my mind as I began to read about Jesus. In John 9, 1 through 3, the Bible says that Jesus passes by a man that is born blind. You know the story. And I don't know how old this man was, but it said he was a man. So obviously he's been blind for many, many years. Maybe in his 30s, I don't know. But the Bible says that Jesus passes by a man born blind. And his disciples ask, Lord, who sinned? Him and her, or his parents that he's born blind, that he's born blind. And what did Jesus say? He said, neither. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now think about that. Think about that. Here's a man that has been born blind from birth. And Jesus said he was born blind for the glory of God. You need to wrap your mind around that. What does that mean? That means that God, Jesus knew that he was going to heal him. And out of that healing, he was going to get glory. Amen. Then consider John 11 on Lazarus. How many know about Lazarus? Everybody knows about Lazarus. The death of Lazarus. Most everyone knows that story. Even sinners know that story. Verse 11, chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 11, verse 1 says, A certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. And we know, and you and I understand, and we know that ultimately Lazarus dies. Amen. If you know the story, you know that Jesus hesitated for several days, and he died. And when he finally went to Lazarus, he was dead, and he was in the tomb, and he was buried. And Mary says, Lord, if you'd have been here, he would not have died. And Jesus tells her to believe in him, that he is the resurrection. But what I want you to see is in verse 4, when Jesus, they're speaking about Lazarus, and it says, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Amen. Hallelujah. In other words, this man is sick for the glory of God. He has fallen ill for the glory of God. I would not have thought it when I was sitting there in the cancer treatment going through chemotherapy and radiation that it was for the glory of God. But I now understand a year and a half later it was for the glory of God. Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. I was able, God, since that time, God has opened doors of India. I'm going back to India. I'm going back to, in August, back to Africa. Doors are opening everywhere. Amen. Because it was for the glory of God. Amen. Because I can stand here and tell you, it was by God's grace and by God's love that he healed me and transformed me. Amen. So I can say to you this morning, my cancer was for the glory of God. Amen. Just as this sickness that Lazarus had, Jesus said, he is sick for my glory. So you must understand 
that everything that happens in your life, everything that God does in your life, he does it for his glory. John 17. <coughs> Excuse me. John chapter 17. Phenomenal portion of scripture. This is Jesus' last words before, well, one of his last prayers before he goes to the cross. He knows that he's going to go to the cross in the next day or two. <coughs> Verses 1 through 5, it says, Jesus spoke these words lifted his eyes up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may also be glorified in you. Are you beginning to see a theme here? Amen. Verse 2. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give, give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I have glorified you on earth, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Oh, and now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Amen. So as you begin to understand this, what you'll begin to see, and hopefully I pray that what you begin to see after today is that as you're reading the scripture, that you're going to see this theme throughout all the scripture, that God does what he does for his glory. Amen. Verses 9 and 10 of John 17 says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Verse 10, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am, what? Glorified in them. And so what God wants for you, from you and I is that we glorify God in our lives. Amen. That's why I think it's so important and so urgent that we praise God, we glorify God, we lift our hands to God and surrender whenever you can. Amen. Because that is what God desires. Is when you glorify God, what happens? He begins to change you. He begins to transform you. Because you glorify him. Not because you make a resolution. How many ever kept a New Year's resolution? Two weeks, month. Some of the better ones, three months. <laughs> Amen. I got to get a handle on this, this habit. I got to get a handle on this thing. But you can't. Because you don't got the power. That's why Paul said, I, I, I do what I don't want to do. He says, I find myself doing the very thing that I hate. Amen. Why? Because we're flesh. We're weak. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Amen. You've probably heard this illustration, but on the reservation, they used to use this re revelation a lot. This is old uh, Indian chief came. And he says, he became a Christian. He says, he says, I feel like I have two dogs inside of me fighting. He says, which one wins? He says, the one that I feed the most. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. And the one that's going to win in you is the one that you feed the most. What are you going to feed? You're going to glorify God and feed your spirit? Or are you going to give in to the works of the flesh? 
Verse 10, Jesus says in John 17, I am glorified in them. Verse 24 of that same chapter, let me read that for you. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. He said, Father, the people that you have given me, my ultimate desire, Father, is that one day that they'll stand in heaven and glorify me. Amen. So I talked about righteousness earlier. I want to read a few quotes. What is righteousness? God's, the Bible says God leads me into the paths of righteousness. Alec Motier said these words. He defines righteousness as those right with God and therefore committed to putting right all other relationships in life. See, God so desires us to be loved by us, to be right with him and with others, that he leads us, he guides us, he gives us the Holy Spirit, he empowers us. Can you say amen? amen? Hallelujah. He also goes on to say it's important to know that what true righteousness is. Listen to this carefully. He says, ironically, when we try to be righteous on our own, in our own strength, we actually get worse. <laughs> because you can't do it. Hallelujah. You might as well just give up and say, God, you lead me. God, you make me to lie down. God, you order my steps. The Bible says the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. Amen. How many of you made a commitment? God, I'm going to get up every morning at 5 o'clock and pray. How long has that lasted? God, I'm going to read 10 chapters of the Bible every day. Uh, problem is, is you're trying to do it in your own strength. Amen. You know, when I go to Africa, they always ask me. I always do discipleships. I bring in pastors, African pastors, and they always, it's kind of an open question. They always ask me. I said, you need to be really careful that you don't become legalistic. Because they're always telling me, he says, well, we were told and we were preached that we need to pray at least half an hour a day and we need to read at least five chapters a day. And then I said, and I tell him, well, I says, I don't even do that. He said, what do you mean? I said, sometimes I'm reading the Bible and I can't get past three, chap three verses because God speaks to me and I go, God, what are you saying here? And I begin to research and I begin to study it. And, and I, don't, I don't got my five chapters done. I've only got three chapters, but God's spoken to me. God's given me revelation. Amen. Sometimes I get up early and go to work and I don't have time to pray. But when I get down in my car and I begin to pray, ask God, and as I'm driving, the Spirit of God comes and I begin to pray and I begin to worship God. Amen. It has to be spontaneous. Amen. But there has to be that desire. And God puts that desire in you. God puts that desire. That's why he gave the, the apostles the Holy Ghost. He says, you wait. Wait. In Jerusalem for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Why? 
Because you don't have the power to do it on your own. Let me fill you with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let me be glorified in your life. Amen. Take time to glorify me. Take time to worship me. Take time to praise me. And let God change you because you can't do it on your own. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This next quote. When I first read this, I just, I just shook my head and said, my God, my God, why have I been lifted up in pride? William Temple said these words. Is that up there? He says, I like to remind myself and others that the only thing you contribute to your salvation and to your sanctification is the sin that makes them necessary. Amen. That's your only contribution, folks. It's not your dedication. It's not many, how many hours in the morning you pray. It's not how many chapters of the Bible you read. I believe in studying. I believe in praying. But don't let it become legalist. Amen. Hallelujah. I heard a preacher one time preach on how many times, how many hours in the morning he preaches, he prays, and how many chapters of the Bible he reads every day. And he says, that's exactly what you folks need to do. And I was sitting there, and I thought to myself, if I hear another sermon like that, I'm going to puke. Amen. That's not what relationships are about. Amen. When I met my wife, and even today, after 45 years, I just want to be with her. Amen. Because I love her. You love me too, right, babe? <laughs> Amen. And that's what true love is, is that it's a relationship. And so everything that God does is for his glory. The crazy thing is that we benefit from that. Amen. And everything we do, we must do to the glory of God, not to manipulate God. You don't come to church to manipulate God. Amen. You don't give your tithes to manipulate God. You don't give offerings to manipulate God. Matter of fact, the Bible says don't let your left hand or your right hand let your left hand know what it's doing or either or. Amen. For me, it's my left hand because I'm left-handed. Amen. But everything you do must be done for the glory of God. I'm going to read a scripture and then I'm going to close out of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. But I'm going to challenge you to go home and read the rest of this chapter. I don't have time to expound on it this morning. But what you'll discover when you read the rest of this chapter, 1 Peter chapter 4, is that even suffering and pain... God does for his glory. Amen. First Peter 4 and 11 says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles or the utterances of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion or the sovereignty forever and ever. Amen. I'd like the worship team to come.
this morning. What I'd like to do is this morning is uh, as they come and they get set up to worship and minister. They don't want to take time to glorify God. So I'm going to do a few things a little bit different. If you are here and you don't know Jesus, I'm going to ask you as we begin to sing to come and pray and ask God to come into your life. If you don't know Jesus, I'm, I'm asking you. And I'll come down and I'll pray with you personally. The other thing that I want you to do is everyone that is here, as we begin to sing this song, I want everybody to stand. And if you're embarrassed to lift your hands, I want you to just let down your guard and lift your hands and begin to praise God and begin to sing this song as we sing this song. One of the things that I loved about pastoring on the Navajo Reservation and going overseas, uh, they say, why do you go overseas so much? Well, one of the things, one of the reasons, because the Bible says to go and make disciples of all nations. But more importantly, for me personally, is I go because Jesus wants us to go to the poor. And so I asked the question, God, why do you want me to go to the poor? Why would you want me to go to the Navajo Reservation? Why was that so important? You know, you know why? Because the poor are rich in faith. And they respond to his love. Amen. They respond to what they were created for. Oh, I get emails and videos all the time. Maybe one of these days I'll have time to show you some videos from Africa. There's the Pokot tribe and the Trakana tribe that five, six years ago, their herdsmen, they were killing each other. They were massacring each other, uh, rustling each other's cattle and goats, and they were killing each other. Matter of fact, about two years ago, one of the pastors got shot by a Trakana. One of the church members got shot and killed while we were there. And um, about six, six, eight years ago, the Kenyan government had to go in there, and they literally went in and massacred 1,500 people to get them to stop fighting among each other because they couldn't have an answer because they were just killing each other off. And about six years ago, we went in there and began to preach, and it would blow your mind. Here's the Pocots and the, tri and the Trakana tribes together, jumping, praising God and worshiping God. I mean, I just got a video for two weeks ago from the pastor there in the Pocot tribe, and they're, they're just worshiping and praising God. I said, my God. They have no inhibitions. Whenever I go to Africa, I always tell them. I said, I'm making a special request to the African people. And I know there are Africans here this morning, too. I says, if it'd be okay, I want to march in with you when we go to heaven. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Why? Because they know what, how to glorify God. They know how to praise God. In India, I was blown away. Those people know how to worship God. Those people are committed. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We pray that you have been blessed by listening to the message. You are welcome to celebrate with us in worship and the word every Sunday at 10 a.m. If you have a prayer need, we welcome you to submit it through our website. We'd love to pray for you. Will you consider supporting us with your prayer and financial gifts? God bless you.